Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The we lose our way, we get back up again. It's never too late to get back up again. Addition, as the Bengals look to rebound from their first lopsided loss of the season as they face the 3-2 and two Colts on Sunday in Indianapolis. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss Joe Burrow, A.J. Green, D.J. Reader, and the latest Bengals news. This week's one-on-one player interview is with the highest-graded safety in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, Jesse Bates. And in our Know the Foe segment, Mike Wells, who covers the Colts for ESPN, makes a prediction of sorts that is bound to annoy Bengals fans. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since... Archie Manning sending encouraging texts to Joe Burrow on a weekly basis. Burrow shared that nugget with reporters this week. Apparently, Joe struck up a friendship with the legendary quarterback and father of Peyton and Eli when he attended the Manning Passing Academy in college. And this week, after Burrow had the worst game of his young career against Baltimore, Archie texted him, told Joe to keep his head up, and shared that in Eli's rookie year, he had a game with a zero passer rating against Baltimore. I looked it up, and Archie wasn't exaggerating. In Eli's fourth NFL start, he went 4 for 18 with 27 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and a zero passer rating in a 37 to 14 loss to the Ravens. In other words, it happens to the best of them, especially as rookies. Thank you, Archie Manning, for the reminder. Now, time to bring in my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, it's Wednesday, and I think Joe Burrow just got hit again by a blitzing Baltimore Raven. <laughs> oh, goodness. Baltimore had seven sacks in that game. Burrow leads the NFL with 22 through five games. I want to start with your specialty, offensive line play. How much of that performance, that rough performance for Joe Burrow, was on the O-line? Part of it, you know, good part of it, but um, when you're looking at what happened uh, in that football game, which was a total collapse against a blitz, everybody suits dirty. Offensive line, quarterback, uh, you know, holding the football uh, too long, trying to make too much happen. Uh, receivers, not getting any separation. Backs and tight ends, not doing a good enough job when they were assigned, you know, people in blitz pickup. But the, the disconcerting thing to me is when, you know, it's a simple – Inside linebacker, five yards off the line of scrimmage, and he's a free runner because of an assignment error. I mean, you know, physical things are one thing. But the mental part of it, at this stage, that, that's, that's troubling to me. You know, and uh, you, all the way back to peewee football, basically, you're always taught block from the inside out, protect quarterbacks from the inside out. The shortest distance to the quarterback is right up the gut. Make him come off the edge, you know, and, and we'll take our chances. Then at that point – there's a free runner there. A lot of times it's on the quarterback. He has to make a miss and then create and extend or get the ball out before the guy gets there. So to have those, those kind of mental errors and simple, simple blitzes, that's not good. That's not good at all. The NFL keeps quarterback hits as a statistic. I'm not sure it's perfectly accurate. When I go back and look, it might be off by one or two. But here's what uh, the NFL says for the first five games of the Joe Burrow era. 
Hit six times in week one, seven in week two, 18 in week three, five in week four, 15 in week five. That adds up to 51 hits. That's an average of about 10 hits per game. It's a cautionary tale, particularly as the Bengals get ready to take on the Indianapolis Colts, because we all remember what happened with Andrew Luck a year ago. He retired at the age of 29. He still had $60 million coming, and yet he walked away. And here's why. Torn cartilage and two ribs, a partially torn abdomen, a lacerated kidney, at least one concussion, a torn labrum in his throwing shoulder, and calf and ankle injuries. Earlier today, Colts head coach Frank Reich was asked about that difficult balance that you uh, go through as a head coach when you have a young quarterback who has the ability to extend plays and make people miss and obviously has a lot of talent, but you're trying to protect that guy as well. Yes, yeah, hard because you're trying to win games. And, you know, you get behind You know, you know, get behind in the game or the guy that you drafted is an elite passer. That's why he was drafted. You know, that's why he's your quarterback. And uh, that's what he's good at doing. So... And part of, and, and part of developing is you got to take your lumps. Um, but then, as you say, there is a fine balance. I mean, you know, you're going to get hit, and so that, that's just a, a, a week by week coaching decision. You know, play by play that you got to you got to weigh how it's going in game. And there is, I think, there are times where you pull back a little bit and protect a guy. Um, but then there's other times. Where you, you know you just you just gotta gotta take your lunch and you gotta go, you gotta work through it. Did, did being around Andrew Luck at all towards the end there change your view of of that and the idea of taking their lumps and things like that? We place a very high priority. I'm sure the Bengals do too, but on protecting the quarterback and you know that that's that involves everybody. It's not just the, not just the quarterback. It's not just the offensive line. It's the whole offensive unit, the coaching staff. It includes the play caller. It includes everything. And so it takes a total commitment to it. And then obviously the quarterback has to perform and get the ball out and know the right protection calls. Um, That's all part of the equation of learning and growing. When Andrew Luck shocked the football world with his retirement announcement last year, he cited the soul-crushing cycle of injury and rehab. And here was the quote, the only way I see out is to no longer play football. It has taken my joy of this game away. Now, obviously, Joe Burrow's nowhere close to that. Hopefully, it'll never come to that, and I'm not suggesting it will, but that's what you got to try to prevent. Oh, there's no doubt. And uh, when you think about it, Andrew Luck is bigger, stronger, faster. 6'4", 240. And, you know, and can run better than Joe. So you got you got, you know, mega QB <laughs> at the quarterback position instead of Megatron – uh, Megatron QB or whatever. I mean, he's he's a Robo QB. He's exactly what you would want physically, yet he sustained all these injuries. And that's what's amazing to me right now is it's early, in the early stages, but Joe Burrow is tracking for well over 70 sacks and 160-plus hits. Man, that's not sustainable. And it, it, Right now, when I watch him sometimes, it's like Gumby. He is so flexible. It's almost like he has no bones. He's all cartilage. His whole body's cartilage, you know. He just kind of like rolls with the punches. Andrew Luck was, you know, kind of a thick, strong dude. And, and man, when you get hit, there's not a whole lot of give there flexibility. I don't know. Maybe Joe's built a little bit better to take the abuse and the punishment, but nobody uh, can sustain taking the abuse and punishment that he's taking right now. 
So, and, and to have a guy who loved the game of football, like Andrew Luck, I mean, loves the game of football. I mean, his dad, football quarterback, ran a league, you know, in charge of the NFL Europe, everything. He grew up around the game. He is a football savant. For him to say, can't do it, man, that cycle, getting hurt, rehabbing, getting hurt and rehabbing all the time, just taking away, uh, you know, every every other good part of life, that's that's a bad way to live. And he's a brilliant guy as well, so he knows he could do something else. You know, it's not like football is the only thing that he can do. Joe Burrow is the same way. I mean, Joe Burrow's a smart guy, but he absolutely loves football. And like you said, it's far from – you know, the Andrew Luck situation, but man, you don't want to do anything to even get him in the same neighborhood as what uh, Andrew Luck was thinking about. And on the opposite side of the field this week, you have 38-year-old Philip Rivers, who might be, probably is, the least mobile quarterback in professional football, and yet he has only been sacked four times this year. Only been sacked four times, thrown five interceptions, because I think he's a lot of times he tries to get the ball out really quickly. Too quick? Yeah. I think sometimes maybe he's, you know, he's trying to protect, not, not trying to protect his offensive line from numbers, but he knows I, I want to get it out so I can prevent getting blown up totally. You know, I, might, I may take a, a glancing blow or a pull-up shot or something like that. Sometimes it's too quick. Sometimes it's way too long, like the check down that he threw for the pick six against the Browns. He was in the pocket forever. Um, but the, the safety – that he threw, uh, he could have just climbed the pocket, and he doesn't like he doesn't like moving off his spot, and that's going to be a key in this football game. If the Bengals can somehow get him off his spot, and you know make him throw the ball sooner than he wants to, uh, five interceptions, four touchdown passes. That's not that's not your typical Philip Rivers ratio. I mean, back when he was uh, he was really getting it done in uh, in 2018, 32 touchdowns, 12 picks. You know that's that's more like the Philip Rivers that people want to think about. Last week, before his gruesome ankle injury, Dak Prescott caught a touchdown pass, meaning he has one more TD catch this year than A.J. Green. A rough start to the 2020 season hit an unimaginable low for A.J. in Baltimore last week where he looked lost and the only pass thrown his way and then spent the second half of the game on the bench, voicing his frustration, apparently, with a reported hamstring injury. The day after the game, Zach Taylor was asked five questions in a news conference about the seven-time Pro Bowler. I have edited those questions and Zach's answers together. Is it A.J. Green's uh, left hamstring, the same one he aggravated in training camp? Uh, yeah, it's his hamstring. Zach, did you talk to A.J. about uh, about maybe a sense of frustration more than just the injury? Did he mention anything to you today about that if you had a conversation with him? Um, I mean, I'll keep all those conversations private, but we talk to our players every week and uh, feel really good about where everything's at. Zach, you said you feel good about the conversations that you have with your players. Does that include uh, AJ after after yesterday? Yes. I mean, it, it looked like we haven't talked to him yet. It looked like he was very frustrated with his role and, and his rotation. I mean, is did you did you see the video? Do you have any comments on on what was said on the sideline? No, I have no comments. Zach, when you look at AJ's numbers off catapult during practice, um, do you is there been any inclination that he hasn't been able to go full go during games? When you look at the numbers that that you've been seeing that Joey's looking at off catapult, no, a no comment. Several one word answers, not the typical way that Zach Taylor addresses questions from the media, particularly about AJ Green. Yeah, very very, very, very effusive. Yeah, very effusive usually. Normally. With, with A.J. And yeah. very, very, very terse is a good word. 
So uh, when you heard that, what was your reaction? Uh, not happy, you know, obviously uh, frustrated. So there was some sort of frustration that went on in that football game. Um, and Zach decided to keep it all in-house, uh, which is the norm. But, I, you know, two things on that play. I, I don't think A.J. saw the football. Um, I don't think he did. But he did see the interception. And when he saw the interception, he ran away from contact. And you just hate to see, you know, that, that type of situation. So whatever it is that's bothering A.J., if he feels like if he's trying to play football not to get hurt, can't play that way. You just can't play fearful of injury and trying to avoid or prevent injury while you're playing the game. It's impossible. You just have to go play as hard as you can. As soon as you're not playing at that level, that's when you do get hurt. So it's an interesting dynamic that's going on. I mean, I, I don't I – don't, uh, obviously we don't have um, the facts, all the facts that are taking place. Hard to draw conclusions, but the eye in the sky don't lie. And what you're seeing on tape is not A.J. Green. It's just not. Zach Taylor said on Wednesday that A.J. would not practice on Wednesday, but made it sound like that's not uncommon for him at this stage of his career. He said he would practice on Thursday and that he thought he would be okay. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens on Sunday. They've got John Ross waiting in the wings. Uh, He's been a healthy scratch. Well, he was ill last week, uh, but probably would have been a healthy scratch anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this the week that, that A.J.? takes a seat if his hamstring is tender at all and John Ross gets another shot potentially you know if his if his hamstring is uh is causing issues there's a there's a chance that could be the case and uh you know John Ross obviously one thing he can do is run and stretch a field um now the question is will he catch the football you know that's that's the inconsistency in his game it's not his speed's not inconsistent he's fast every time he runs <laughs> But catching the football um, on a on a high percentage basis has been where he's had his issues. So, yeah, it's very interesting. You know, you look at uh, the two position groups that going into the season, stars. You know, a, a star on the forehead of this position, defensive line decimated by injury. Wide receiver, what's going on there? It's a different. It's a different group, a different animal. You know, John Ross hasn't panned out. AJ hasn't panned out. Now it's. A, are those the strengths of the football team anymore? Those two position groups makes you scratch your head and wonder. I've never seen uh, a, a well. Last year it was left tackle. Left tackle they played five of them, uh, which is crazy for one spot, one position. Defensive tackle it's like seven count and counting this year. After only five football games, come on, man, it's crazy. Going back prior to training camp. The defensive linemen began dropping for the Cincinnati Bengals. Ryan Glasgow failed his physical. Josh Tupo opted out due to coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Then once training camp began, Rennell Wren suffered a season-ending quadriceps injury. Geno Atkins got hurt. Thankful he's back from his shoulder injury. Mike Daniels is on the injured list now with an elbow injury. And now most recently, D.J. Reader, the great defensive tackle, signed as a free agent this offseason, will miss the rest of the year with a quad injury. Here's his teammate, Christian Covington. You know, he's a heart and soul of this defensive line, heart and soul of this defense, really. Uh, one of the guy, key guys on this team. So, you know, to lose a guy like him is, is uh, it's hard. Uh, you know, I was able to talk to him after the game, obviously. Talked to him today. You know, he's feeling good. He's optimistic. He, uh, you know, he has faith in, you know, this defense, this team. So we got to just, uh, we got to pick it up now. We got to just, uh, we got to, we have to fill, uh, you know, fill in the spot that, you know, 
that he played with his team and uh, do what we can, honestly. I mean, can you quantify how big of a loss this is, especially given the already lack of bodies on that line? You know, it's a big loss. Um, I, I can't lie. But at the same time, you know, this is this is the NFL. You know, we play a violent sport. This is, uh, you know, this is a hard league to be able to compete with and nobody ever is going to be 100 percent healthy. So it's it's that old time, you know, that old time saying that goes with being in this league. You know, it's the next man up mentality. So it's a it's a matter of fact right now. It's it is what it is. We pray for this brother. We love him. We send our best to him. We we know he's going to be great. He's going to come back healthier, stronger than ever. But at the same time, you know, we have a job to do right now. And uh, that's to be able to pick it up and, uh, you know, keep battling, keep going. This one hurts. The Bengals made DJ Reader the highest paid nose tackle in the NFL when they signed him in the offseason to a four-year, $53 million deal. Obviously, a big signing bonus was part of that. He's making $22.25 million this year, done after five games. Sad, you know, um, losing secondary. You lose the defensive tackle. You lose two defensive tackles. Three of your big signings in free agency. Three multi-million dollar deals. Not participating at this point in time. Uh, Wren and Reader, same injury. Tendon that attaches quad to the knee. They have to have surgery. Exact the same injury. It's crazy. Just absolutely crazy. And uh, it's mind-boggling when you, when you think about it. Again, what, what would have been the strength position-wise, um, position group-wise in the team is – decimated it's a shell of itself uh to nobody's fault other than injury which you can't control and it's just eating that position group alive dj reader large man 6'3 325 pounds depending on whether he had his sugary cereal that morning but in any case you know the bengals clearly went out and got him because they've been so bad at stopping the run over the past couple of years and while that's been up and down so far this year that wasn't his fault. He's no. doing his job in that area. He was giving it all he's got. I mean, he is a he's a you know hundred percent effort guy. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, and that that that's the thing is the guys that you paid millions of dollars to, you know, and Carlos is on a third extension or a third contract of his career. Guys that you're paying big money to, you know, like Reader, like Carlos, like you know Daniels. Now, Reader and Daniels are, are down due to injury, but those are the guys that the organization, if I'm spending that kind of money, I'm saying, give it, give me something. Give it to me. I'm not mad at Covington. I traded for Covington, and, you know, he's, he's giving me everything he's got. You know, you, you can't ask for anything more from the. But some of these guys that you're paying the big money to, Carlos, AJ, I mean, as an organization, you have to think, man, start giving me something. Don't give me some sort of return on, on the investment. You know, that's only fair. And one of those guys is Geno Atkins. Yep. Uh, they worked him back in as a pass rusher last week, but the role is going to have to increase with DJ Reader out. It is. I mean, he probably played 25% of the snaps and uh, he came out of it well, which is good. Um, but, yeah, you need, need somebody to really push the inside of the pocket and pass rush and then and then play the run, stuff the run. Geno can do that. And, uh, you know, Sam Hubbard. Looked to me like he dislocated his elbow. I think Sam Hubbard's probably on the shelf for multiple weeks. It's it's not just a one week thing with Sam Hubbard. And I've I've dislocated my elbow. I know how'd that, that feel? Oh my God, not not good. <laughs> not good. Not good. <laughs> no, not good at all. And all I, right. I get real quick. The trainer came out. <laughs> uh, Marv Pollins yeah. came out, and the, the referee he sees that my arm's going the wrong way. It just was going the wrong way. 
Mike McCoy, big defense attack, Green Bay just rolls on it. And I'm cut blocking me, and it just pops out. And I'm like, so uh, the referee, Tunney, says, you know, stay down. I said, I'm not going anywhere. The trainer comes out. He looks at Mike. He goes, oh, God, that covers his eyes. <laughs> just what you want to hear yeah. from the trainer. I'm like, Marv, get me a doctor, for God's sake. <laughs> doctor grabs my thumb and pinky, tries to snap it back into place. Doesn't fall in. He goes, give me one more. I said, one more shot. That's it. Second time, went into place. Ugh. and They tape it up, 60-degree angle. Tiger looks at me, Dan, and goes, you're playing, aren't you? I said, I hadn't really thought about that. I can't get in a right-handed stance. He goes, put your left hand down then. Sends me back in the game. Wow. I know. It's a different game. <laughs> different back game. Then. Yep. The Bengals had a new guy at practice on Wednesday, defensive lineman Xavier Williams. He's a six-year vet, and he won a Super Bowl ring last year as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's only played in one game so far this year. That was as a member of the Patriots. And Xavier Williams was picked up earlier this week due to all the injuries the Bengals have suffered on their defensive line. So he's he's practicing on Wednesday. He's going to be playing on Sunday. And earlier this week, defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo remembered an incident, uh, an incident, or an instance, I should say, from his days as a defensive backs coach with the Miami Dolphins, where the Dolphins picked up a cornerback during the week late in the year and had to throw him out there. We claim him like week 14. The GM comes in my office and says, all right, this guy's starting this week. I said, okay, great. No problem. Uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, for whatever reason, miss the, the flight got screwed up on Tuesday. The first time I meet the guy is Wednesday during period six of practice. I shake his hand. I say, get in the huddle. And I stood behind him and he played 65 plays in the game on Sunday. So if a corner can do it, a, a, a guy that's got to get in an A or a B gap, he can do it too. We'll, 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 We'll get, him, we'll, get him, we'll get him ready. Take it on a double team, and, and, and that doesn't change no matter where you're at. So, you know, we'll, we'll make sure we uh, – and I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, obviously, but uh, we'll make sure when he's in the game that we're doing things that he can do. How tough will that be for a defensive tackle? I think – I don't think it'll be that tough for him. I really don't. You know, I do think, like, you know, Lou said, you don't want to oversimplify it, but, I mean, honestly, you're, you are – hitting gaps or two gapping and doing whatever, whatever's, uh, whatever's asked. And he's obviously had exposure to Spagnolo, you know, with Kansas city, Belichick with new England Patriots. I mean, he brings some unique experiences with him. So um, I, I think, I think he's going to be fine. I, I don't think, I don't think you'll see him uh, hitting wrong gaps or, you know, making the mental errors. I think with his experience in the league with, in with the teams that he's been with uh, accumulating that experience. Last week, the Baltimore Ravens blitzed on 59% of Joe Burrow's dropbacks. They Seemed got, like more. <laughs> it did. They got pressure on 47% of his dropbacks. So he was under pressure 18 times, 12 on blitzes during the game, seven sacks. And uh, when he was under pressure, Joe Burrow was three for nine for 15 yards. It was obviously a tough day. And it made me ask this question of Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo. Why doesn't everybody Blitz like Baltimore does. They do a f- fantastic job with their their pressure package and uh, you know the different multiple looks that you give. Uh, but yes, uh, it, it is a little bit. Uh, hey, let's just do that. And well, if you don't get home, sometimes there's some guys running free behind those guys, but they never get to get it off. You know, so uh, that 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 rush can really cover up for a lot of mis- you know. And again, not that they make mistakes. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that sometimes if you don't have the same type of 
uh, guys up front that are getting there, um, you know, it, it can be challenging on the back end, guys. So if you look at the five games the Bengals have played so far, Joe Burrow has been blitzed on 27% of the snaps, no blitz, 73% of the snaps. Is that blitz percentage about to go up for everybody, even though that's the way that uh, Baltimore would normally do it? Yeah, I mean, you got to think uh, Eberflus is a great example. He's not a heavy blitz guy. But when you see the level that it got home, the level that affected the play, maybe you say, I do have, you know, I have some packages. I got a couple, three packages that I haven't really emphasized all that much. Maybe I introduce them. Because the one thing you don't want to do is say, all right, we're going to do what Baltimore does. And we don't have the personnel that Baltimore does. We're still going to do what Baltimore does. And you have to, you have to pretty much, as a, co- as a coach and a coordinator, you know, kind of work your schematic around what you have for people instead of the other way around. You can't say, we're doing this no matter what, and I'm force-feeding you in square peg in a round hole, and it, it doesn't work out that way. So, But there are packages that lend itself to your talent and personnel that you can incorporate. So... I wouldn't be surprised if Eberflus brings those and uh, sees which one are most effective, and that's what Martindale did such a great job of. Once they started, a, once it hit home, they saw it until they were, you know, give me some semblance of stopping it, and maybe I'll stop blitzing. You're not stopping it at all. I'm going to keep doing it, and that's the way it's going to be. So I, I do think, and Joe Burrow said it himself, when you're a rookie quarterback, you face a higher blitz percentage with almost every team you face. So I think he's expecting it for sure. According to Pro Football Focus, when Joe Burrow has not been pressured, he's 105 for 144. That's 73% completion percentage, four touchdowns, one pick, passer rating of Mm 97.9. Pretty good. When he's under pressure, 30 for 63. It's under 50%. Two touchdowns, two picks, passer rating of 59.8. Now, those numbers are dramatic but not that unusual. Mm-hmm. Very few quarterbacks have great statistics when they're under pressure. But based on that, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm trying to apply pressure. Yeah, and I, I think those Baltimore numbers really affected because it's, it's a fairly small sample size, you know, four or five games into the season. When you have a horrific day like the entire offense did against Baltimore, it can distort those numbers pretty well, and it did. I mean, n- not to say that he has not had his struggles with pressure before, but nothing like what happened last Sunday in Baltimore. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for this week's one-on-one player conversation. As Jim Neighbors used to sing before the Indy 500, Bengal safety Jesse Bates is about to be back home again in Indiana. Jesse is from Fort Wayne, a couple of hours away from Indianapolis, and he's looking forward to returning to the Hoosier State on Sunday. Jesse, the website Pro Football Focus has you graded as the number one safety in the NFL so far this season, and it's not close. In fact, there's a bigger gap between you and the second-rated safety than there is between the first guy and the second guy at any other position. Were you aware of your high grade, and how do you feel about the way you've been playing? Yes, I'm very aware. Um, I have a group chat with my mom, my sisters, and my family, uh, and they put everything, whether it's the good, the bad, they, they put it all in there. Um, so, yes, I'm very aware of that. Um, and I think I've played very well up 
until now. Um, I think I had a little fall off, a little humble, a humbleness uh, game in week two against the Browns where I missed a, a lot of tackles I felt like I could have made, I'm capable of making. Um, but, you know, it's, it's only it's only been, what, five games, I think it is. We have 11 games left. And, you know, there, a lot can happen in that 11-week span. So uh, my only focus is it only, it only makes me better. Um, it, it shows me what I'm capable of and what my potential is. And I just want to continue to show that. We're chatting with Jesse Bates. You've broken up seven passes already this season, which suggests that you're playing fast. Is that a product of experience? Do you recognize where the ball is going faster? Yeah, it's just better preparation, you know, expecting what to, you know, see on Sundays. I think Rob has done a really good job of doing that the first two years. Uh, but it's just me, you know, growing up and being able to, you know, hear the same things and see the same things and just see how the quarterback is going through his progression and stuff like that. Um, and I mean, it, it also helps, um, you know, with Joe Burrow being here, he, he does a really good job of looking people off um, in the middle of the field. So I got a lot of work with that, um, you know, in the short two week, two training camp weeks that we had. Defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo says that your tackling has improved this year. How does a guy who's been in the NFL for a couple of years get better as a tackler? The, the main thing for me was strength, um, you know, coming in here. Uh, I think I was around like 195, 200. Um, and if my, my weight would drop as the weeks would go. Um, and I think this offseason I really focused on, you know, the quarantine did me very well. That's what I've been telling people. Um, I was able to just stay at home in Fort Wayne, Indiana and train with one of, one of my high school trainers that's been training me since high school, uh, Lawrence Barnett, who, who did a really good job of, of having a plan set for me uh, and, and what exactly the goals were this offseason. So um, I didn't run for the first maybe two months or something like that. Uh, I got up to like 215 and I was a little bit too heavy. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we found a really good plan and it worked out. I think that's been the biggest key for me uh, in tackling this year. Jesse, you've got a new tag team partner at safety this year in Von Bell. He's a couple of years older. He basically has twice as much NFL experience as you do. What impact has he had on you? Like I said, uh, you know, you see my preparation improves uh, throughout the years. And, you know, you see Von, uh, he's come from a really good football team, a really good organization where I'm sure their preparation was re very good. Um, you know, he's seen a lot of good things. Uh, in his first four, five years in the NFL. So, you know, being able to just ask questions, being humble enough and, you know, building that relationship with him where I can ask questions and, you know, and prepare the same. Uh, Vaughn is a little bit more early bird type of guy, um, but, but we still talk while we're at work for sure. The team lost defensive tackle DJ Reader this week for the rest of the year. He's obviously an outstanding player, but it seems like he had a huge impact as a leader in a very short period of time. Was that the case? And if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. DJ um, got paid a lot of money this offseason for a reason. Um, he, he, he does, he's kind of like me. He doesn't really say much. You know, he's not a very rah, rah, rah guy, um, but he, he makes it known that he's there. Um, and, you know, if you turn on the tape, you, you always see DJ making plays. Um, even if he's not making a tackle, he's always in the right position. Um, and, and knocking the line of scrimmage back. So uh, that'll be a huge blow for us on defense for sure. You face the Colts this week and 38-year-old quarterback Phillip Rivers, sixth all-time in passing yards, sixth all-time in touchdown passes, but he does have five interceptions so far this year. 
How important is it this week to make a play on the ball if and when he makes a mistake? It's very important. I feel like we've we've had a lot of opportunities to uh, get turnovers and we haven't uh, capitalized on it. Even myself, I, I think some of those PBUs that I've had uh, could be interceptions. Um, and that's something that I'm going to continue to improve on and we need to improve on as a defense um, because that's what this game's all about, uh, the turnover ratio. And, you know, the more turnovers we have, our offense has more opportunities to score the ball as well. So, um, yes, Phillip, Phillip is a Hall of Famer. Um, but, yes, hopefully we can get some, you know, some interceptions off him this week. We're chatting with Jesse Bates. Rivers is in his 17th year. He's played in more than 230 games. Is it possible to confuse Phillip Rivers at this point? It's, it's going to be very hard to, to trick him. Um, but I think one thing you can do uh, that, that mess with the quarterbacks that are a little older, they don't really move. We're not going to play a, a Lamar Jackson this week. Um, so, you know, being able to hopefully bring some pressures to him, get him off the spot a little bit, uh, will mess up with some of his accuracy. So I'm, I'm very excited to go home and play in, uh, in the Lucas Oil Stadium for sure. It is a homecoming for you. You are from Fort Wayne. That's about two hours north of Indy. How big of a deal is this? Oh, it's a it's a huge deal. Um, you know, it's another week, obviously, but uh, I think it's a really big deal. You know, going back to my home state um, and playing in that in that stadium. Uh, I think the last time I played in it was we went to state my sophomore year in high school. Uh, you know, obviously we did the combine there or whatever. But yeah, it's it's uh. It sucks that I, I can't have all my family at the game uh, due to the COVID stuff like that. Um, so, you know, grandmas will, will, will be at home uh, watching the game for sure. But my mom and uh, other family members will be there for sure. How did that high school game go? Um, man, we, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we got whooped by, I think, Lawrence North or whatever it is. They had a lot of uh, talent there. So. Hopefully Sunday will go better. Appreciate sure. the time. Congratulations on a great first five games. Yes, sir. Thank you. I have another question about Philip Rivers that I didn't ask Jesse Bates. What do you think has been harder for the veteran quarterback? Learning the Colts offense after 16 years with the Chargers or remembering the birthdays of his nine kids? For more on Rivers and the Colts, it's time for our Know the Foe segment. And this week, Mike Wells, who covers the Colts for ESPN, Join Dave Lapham and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. This week, the 1-3-1 and one Bengals head to Indianapolis to take on the 3-2 and two Colts. Time for our Know the Foe segment and to learn more about the Colts, we welcome in Mike Wells, who covers the team for ESPN in Indianapolis. Mike, I've been reading newspapers and websites about the Colts since the beginning of the week. There have been a lot of questions about whether Phillip Rivers should be yanked from the starting lineup. How shaky has Phillip Rivers been? Well, first off, anytime I hear a record about a team, an opposing team that says one, three, and one, I automatically think of hockey or soccer. <laughs> that's, that's how rare uh, ties are in the NFL. But uh, back, back to your question about Phillip Rivers, the reality is, I mean, you're talking about a 38-year-old quarterback who, you know, had 23 turnovers last season, and in the Colts' two losses, he, he was a big part of that. I mean, he had two interceptions in week one against Jacksonville. Then he had two interceptions, including that pick six 
and a uh, um, intentional grounding safety against Cleveland last weekend, responsible for nine points. I wasn't a math major in college, but the Colts were lost by nine points to the Bengals, and Rivers was responsible for those nine points. Um, it, the more Philip Rivers struggles, the questions are going to continue with them. If the Colts were to go ahead and bench Phillip Rivers, you know, after just five weeks in the NFL season, that is a complete sign that they uh, made a bad decision in signing Rivers to that $25 million contract last spring. So, Mike, is the offensive line uh, working in concert with Phillip Rivers? Is he trying to get rid of the ball too quickly? I mean, he's got five interceptions in the offensive line, uh, you know, or I should say the Indianapolis Colts have only given up five sacks and he's got five interceptions. Is he trying to protect them, getting the ball too quickly sometimes? No, it's just a matter of, you know, Rivers making bad decisions. I mean, where he's locked in on the receiver and uh, got rid of the ball. I mean, last weekend, you play, You guys know Miles Garrett very well from the AFC North. I mean, one of the premier pass rushers, and the Colts did not have starting left tackle Anthony Costanzo. Right. They would, Rivers had to get rid of the football last week because Garrett was a carrot, a terror out there on the football field. But Rivers can't he. That's been one of his his flaws and what's been an incredible 16-plus year career is that he makes some bad decisions with the football. But when you're a, a team like the Colts that is dealing with so many injuries and um, you you have to make smart decisions because you have to give your, your football team a chance to score as many times as possible. But when Rivers is doing that, it, it's just not a good thing. And the more interceptions, meaning five interceptions right now compared to just four touchdowns that Rivers continues to pile up, the more the heat and the pressure is going to be on Rivers and the Colts on how much longer can he remain the starting quarterback. We're talking to Mike Wells, who covers the Colts for ESPN. You mentioned the left tackle. Anthony Costanzo didn't play last week. I guess it's a rib injury for him. Darius Leonard, arguably one of the top two or three linebackers in the NFL, didn't play last week because of a groin injury. Uh, the head coach, Frank Reich, has been a little bit evasive so far about whether they'll be back this week. But what do you think? Do you have a best guess on those two guys? See, Bengals fans are going to come after me. They're going to they're try <laughs> to come after me when I give this answer. It's nothing personal, Cincinnati fans. I would say this about any team that has a losing record um, and the Colts are playing a team that probably they should beat. But when I was at practice earlier today, Costanza was back out there. There was no sight, uh, no sight, uh, sign of Darius Leonard. If I'm the Colts, they play the Bengals this week, and then they have their bye. There's zero, zero reason for putting Darius, I mean Darius Leonard and Anthony Costanzo out there because I think whether they have Leonard and Costanzo or not, they should be able to beat the Bengals. And I say that as being very impressed of what I've seen from Joe Burrow so far this season. But if the Colts believe they're a playoff team, they should beat a rebuilding Cincinnati Bengals team. So it's going to be up in the air. Um, I would not be surprised if Costanzo played this week because he was out there on the practice field. But with a guy like Leonard, a groin injury. We all know groin injuries. If you tweak it, it can, it can linger on for a long, long time. There's a lot of football left to be played. If Leonard misses this week, he's essentially having three weeks off with the groin injury. He can get healthy after the bye against the Lions. So again, Bengals fans, it's nothing personal, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think the Colts need Darius Leonard or Anthony Casanzo to beat Cincinnati this weekend. Let's go to the other side of the uh, ball for a second. DeForest Buckner, big trade, give up what I think it was the thirteenth pick in the first round mm-hmm. to uh, to get DeForest Buckner. Uh, is he? been playing as advertised statistically it looks pretty good how's it looking you know what i think he's been better than what his stats say i don't have the stats right in front of me but he is he's causing teams 
to have to pay attention to him, which is allowing, you know, the ages wonder uh, Justin Houston to be able to make plays still. And on the back end, the Colts, I think they have six or seven interceptions already this season. So they're nine. forcing turnovers. Yeah, and yeah I'm, I'm shortchanging the Colts. <laughs> nine, nine interceptions. So it's kind of a trickle-down effect. Buckner's may not be having the stats. They're going to have everybody screaming and say, oh, yeah, this guy is dominating. But he's causing quarterbacks to get rid of the ball quicker, which is allowing the deep, the back-end players, the defensive backs, to be able to make plays and, um, and you know, force turnovers. ESPN Colts reporter Mike Wells is our guest. That Colts defense, number one in yards allowed, number two in points allowed, number one in interceptions, as we were just talking about. It's not chock full of pro bowlers. It's not like the Ravens in that respect. Why are these guys so freaking good on defense? You know, it, it starts with the defensive coordinator, uh, Matt Eberflus. He has a model of, you know, you play through the whistle. You know, most people play until they hear a whistle. The Colts defense, they play through the whistle, They they and they're always trying to strip the ball. And they don't want it to be all about one player. It's not about it, it's it's not just about Darius Leonard or DeForest Buckner. It's a, it's it is a whole complete unit. You know, if one unit is playing well, it should help the other two units. So if the D line is playing good, the linebackers and the defensive backs should be able to thrive off of it. So that's it, it's that model of hey, always attack the football, play through the whistle, and be as, as aggressive and as fast as possible. Because I mean, I I, I look at DeForest Buckner, I think he should be a, a power forward on a, on an NBA team. And said he's six seven, clogging the middle of the lane, the middle of the line of scrimmage, and he's he's helping everybody out on that unit. Matt Eberflus, uh, he was a defensive coordinator at Missouri. I was doing Big 12 games at the time, and I remember Gary Pinkle, the head coach of Missouri, said, I have a kid that's coaching my defense that is going to be have, have a future that you won't believe in, in football. I said, you mean like at the professional level? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, this kid is destined, and it was Eberflus. And his whole thing when he was at Missouri was do a few things as well as we possibly can. Keep it simple, yeah. and they keep it simple where they can – they know what they're doing, and they play fast. They're confident. And, man, I'll tell you what, he had those guys flying around the field. It seems like he's doing the same thing with the Colts. Yeah, and that's exactly what he is. He's like, yeah, they don't, it's not It's not about trying to do too much. It's like keep it simple. Just keep it simple. And what the simple things we do, we have to be the best at it. And that's Iberflus's, you know, mind frame. I mean, you talk to Matt Iberflus, he's kind of just kind of blah or whatever. Yep. But – his, his his tenacity and getting things, making it perfect, making everything perfection, is over the top, and that's what you'd like to see out of the coordinator. Mike Wells is our guest. The Colts have had their share of injuries, including Marlon Mack, their 1,000-yard rusher from last year, but waiting in the wings. Second-round draft pick Jonathan Taylor, sixth-leading rusher in college football history, despite only being at Wisconsin for three years. He was a second-round draft pick uh, this year. How much of the offense now is going through Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor? It's Jonathan Taylor's show, and un- unfortunately, that's a lot to put on Jonathan Taylor's his, uh, his plate. You know, he. I think he's realized pretty quickly that you know this is not Wisconsin where you can try to stretch a run out and hopefully turn the corner. Um, he's realizing that if he sees a slight crease, he has to turn and turn upfield and get through it because defensive players are a lot. He's not facing a Rutgers defense. He he's facing legit NFL players. But I think you know with, with Marlon Mack going down, it, it kind of put a lot that he has to put out there. I think it would be better for Taylor if Mack not if Mack 
had not torn his Achilles. But Jonathan Taylor is going to be fine. He's already had one 100-yard rushing game, um, so they're going to continue. They're going to continue to feature him as much as possible because, as much as we talk about Philip Rivers or T.Y. Hilton in the passing game, the Colts want to be a run-first football team, and to be a run-first football team, it's all about uh, Jonathan Taylor. We talked about how opportunistic the secondary is with nine interceptions, leads the league. They get two pick sixes, which also leads the league, and they've returned to kickoff 101 yards for a touchdown. So three returns is tied for the league lead with Baltimore, and the Bengals just played the Ravens last week, seeing how opportunistic they were. But the special teams for Indianapolis, man, I'm telling you, they're, they're, they're uh, eighth in the NFL in punt returns, they're 10th covering punts, second in kickoff returns, 11th covering kickoffs. I mean, their special teams have uh, have dictated field position all year. It seems like it is, and, that, and that's the key for them. They they want to give Philip Rivers a short field to work with, and then a uh, uh, Rigoberto Sanchez, the, the punter, he does an incredible job being able to pin teams down. They they pride their hat on uh, special teams. They 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 want to be able to shorten the field for for the thirty eight year old quarterback, and they want to. They know their defense is so good that if they can get a team inside the ten, it's going to be hard for a team to go ninety plus yards to score a touchdown against them. And speaking of special teams, Adam Vinatieri will go down as one of the the greatest kickers of all time, but he was brutal last year for Ooh. the Colts. Made less than seventy percent of his field goals. Missed six PATs. What has rookie Rodrigo Blankenship done <laughs> for the Colts' confidence in their kicking game? Well, I'll tell you, that, I, I got to say this. You know, I'm 43 years old, and, you know, uh, times have changed because I remember talking to Blankenship, um, Blankenship early on, and we were asking about hobbies and what he likes to do when he's not playing football. He puts Legos together. Really? He puts Legos together. That, that's what my nine-year-old son used to do. He yeah. used to put Legos together. And Blankenship says, you know, he he's like, I like to build Legos. And we asked um, the special teams uh, coordinator about that. He goes, listen, all, as long as he makes kicks, that's all that matters. <laughs> and that's the thing. Uh, you know, last year was a disaster for the Colts kicking game. Adam Vinatieri, as great as he was during his future Hall of Fame career. He cost him so many games. And Blankenship, he's the heir apparent. I mean, you talk about a guy that made all 200 extra points uh, kicks when he was at the University of Georgia, and if I'm not mistaken, maybe only missed 13 field goals in his four-year career. So, And you're playing in the toughest conference in college football, so he's NFL ready. I mean, he's going to have some misses, as we've seen uh, from him and a number of other kickers in the league, but he, he's definitely putting, you know making life easy for him. And I think he leads the NFL in scoring, too, 56 points, I believe. Yeah, he does. 56 points, uh, 15 out of 17 field goals. His 15 field goals lead the league. His 56 points lead the league. You're right on. Mike, is there a guy that's kind of flying under the radar? I mean, is a guy that's been playing real well that has not gotten as much media hype as maybe he should have gotten for the Colts, a player or two? Tight end Mo Alley Cox. Oh. I know Bengals fan, Bengals fans are like, who is that? They're probably looking at Google, and the first thing that's going to pop up with Mo basketball Alley Cox yeah. probably is uh, BCU college basketball yeah. and soccer smart. Ali Cox is a, uh, a former VCU college basketball player. Hadn't played football since he was like the youth, but he's a, he leads the Colts uh, as far as tight ends go, as far as receiving yards and catches go. I mean, he's using his athleticism. He's taking him time to learn the game, but he's he's definitely moved into that role, and he is a legit passing threat for Phillip Rivers in the, in the offense because Rivers and Frank Wright love the uh, tight ends in his offense. 17.6 yards per catch, two touchdown catches. He's got a long of 45. He has been uh, he has been a big-time target. Real long, obviously, huh? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's talking about a guy that played a power forward and played above the rim. So he's one of those ones that Phillip Rivers says, go up and get it, big boy. Go snatch the ball out of the air like right. he's the rebound. Allie Cox will go do it. For a final look ahead to Sunday's game, join Lap and Wayne Box Miller for the Bengals Pep Rally Show Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.